0: I greet everybody online. Good morning, online congregation. Give yourselves a high five because, you know, you're, you're alone. And uh, we are glad that you have joined us. And I, I just ask this one thing. If you're watching online right now, just type in real quick. Um, I'm watching from this place or that place. I want to do something just for giggles. Just came to me this morning. I'm writing a new book. I started it yesterday. Uh, we're going to be hopefully giving that out uh, as an ebook to you guys sometime soon. But if you'll write down today... Where you're watching from, the farthest person away gets the first copy of that book. So, whatever that might be, aren't you guys now? You're like, oh, why did I come to church? I could have stayed home. I gotten a free book. I know it's that valuable. So, um, I'm just glad you're here today because we are beginning a new series, and it's called Let's Let's Talk About Good News. How many of you guys have ever been that happy in your life? Let's talk about good news. Anybody heard any news lately that isn't all that good? It's it's kind of rare nowadays. Everybody's so happy. Things are going so well in everybody's lives, but uh, it is not at all rare to hear a lot of bad news, but how I many guys know the Bible is filled with good news, and it's important that we keep our hearts encouraged. I, I personally, um, when you say, Jim, I really want to get you something for Christmas this year or a birthday, or I want to really bless you, I, I'm not kidding you, this is not being like some sort of like super whatever, but, but the greatest thing you can do for me is bring somebody you love to church that doesn't know Jesus. Because personally, the greatest joy I have is watching the light bulb come on from being dead to being alive, from being lost to being found, from being an orphan to becoming a son or daughter, literally. And I said, well, that's what pastors are supposed to say. Okay, then get me a tie with Jesus on it again. But what I really want for Christmas this year is for all of us to be mindful of those around us that don't know Christ. I have always loved outreach. I got saved on a Friday. On Monday, I asked my teacher uh, junior in high school, would you leave the room So I can talk to this class about what happened to me At the concert Friday night And for some reason she did She said, Jim, I can't do that separation, separation of church and state I'll lose my job But with one sentence, I convinced her it was the right thing to do I said, Mrs. Waltz, you hate your job I'm doing you a favor if you get fired And she left the room, went to her little side office And I presented the gospel as I knew it So hey, I went to this concert I met this guy People are like, what, what do you mean you met a guy And I'm in love, it's like, okay, it's getting weirder and his name is Jesus. And it was probably the worst presentation of the gospel in the history of presentations of the gospel. And yet it was a sincere expression of a 16-year-old's, oh, rebirth. And, and from that day to this, there is no greater joy in my life than watching someone who is sincerely lost become beautifully found. Watching generations of the devil's work being evaporated in an instant of grace is a good day. It's a good day. Um, I remember we were, uh, if you can ever hit the opportunity to preach the gospel where, where Jesus is unknown. It's never been preached. It's, it's the most incredible to go there. We went up into this middle of nowhere, the Sierra Madre Mountains of Oaxacan uh, State, yeah, the Mazateco-Wabla de Jimenez Indians, an unreached village. They'd never heard the gospel. We went up there. They'd been forming some sort of relationship. We brought the Jesus film. Remember the Jesus film? Bill Bright, they translated it into Masateco, which is an unwritten language that's tonal. So you say machete, it means machete. You say machete, it means, like, banana. Like, it's that It's that un- unusual. They whistle. They can talk from a mile away. Just by whistling various tones, they can have a conversation. You're just like, uh, you're smarter than I am, and you're four feet tall, and you're smarter than I am, and you're stronger than I am. And we showed that movie. I remember we turned it on. We had a bed sheet and a movie projector. <laughs> I remember the old movie projector? You know, it's playing. And the kids ran behind the sheet because they couldn't understand how all these people are there, but they're not behind, but they, and they all laughed and giggled. And the elders, you know, shush, 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 which means, this means shush, shush in every language I've ever been in. It means shut up and sit down, kid, you know. And uh, they watched that. I remember during the scene in the movie where Jesus cast the, the demons out of Legion into the pigs. And from me to that monitor, I'm sitting on a cement slab, and there's a big, probably 300, 400 pound hog tied up on a slab. And, and when they all start squealing and screaming, I looked over at him, he looked over at me. And I thought, this was one of the weirdest moments of my life. I'm sure, like, he didn't understand what was being said any more than I understood what was being said because Monsateco and English and pig, they're just worlds apart. And that night when we gave the invitation to receive Christ, I actually stopped to say, no, 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 I don't think you understood what I said. I said, tonight, you want to give your life, everything before this moment and everything from this moment to your creator, whose son's name is Jesus Christ. I want you to raise your hand in the entire village. Raise your hand a second time. I said, "No, I don't think you understand. This is, I'm, I'm not asking you. Do you want to be just be forgiven? I'm asking you. Do you want to be in, a, in, a, in the domain of the King, where His rules are the only rules, where His life is the only life, His truth is the only truth, His way is the only way? Now, if you want that, raise your hand. The whole village raised their hand the third time. Finally, the translator said, "What are you doing? I'm like, I don't think they understand because they understood from the beginning. They just saw the movie, Jim. I'm like, oh, so they want to get saved." Yeah, I'm like, I am so good at this. <laughs> Who wants Jesus? And the whole village stood to their feet. 70-year-old, 80-year-old, crippled, you know, arthritis, you know, osteoporosis, standing to their to their feet, saying, I want Jesus. And then what God did next, I'll never forget. The The translator said, hey, um, I'm gonna tell them you guys are gonna pray for all their sickness and disease too, and that God's gonna heal. I'm like, and it's too late. He's like, oh, squeak, oh, grunt. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. what do you say? He's like, okay, they're ready for you. I'm like, to do what? To pray over all the sickness. I just told them God's gonna heal them. I said, oh, well, that's really nice of you to do. <laughs> anybody over there? Pastor Jason, you in the room? He's probably, Remember, were you there that night, weren't you? Yeah, we prayed. Am I saying it right? Was there anybody who was not healed by the time we left? Every single person in that village got saved and got healed that night. Now, Now, you tell me, you tell me what is greater in this life than the destruction of Satan's work and the establishment of the kingdom of God in people's lives. And this is what I want to talk to you about, guys. I got good news. Here's, here's, what, here's, what, here's what happened. You ready? In the last week, we had about eight people give their life to Jesus around here. So it's not just happening in the Sierra Madres. It's happening in the Sierra Fentons. Here we go. Look at this. Jesus said this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It doesn't matter if it's across the desert or across the street. What Jesus is looking for is people that don't know him. Look at this. John, uh, 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of Man uh, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So poverty and fear and sickness and depression and, and addiction and anxiety. He's like, that's why I came, baby. Bring it on. I'm not afraid of fear, right? Look at this. John chapter 10.10, 10. Jesus says, I've come so that they might have life. To what measure? Anybody know? Abundantly. Matter of fact, that word to the full doesn't mean up to the brim. It means overflowing from the top. So it just, it's, all, it's abundant. It doesn't just fill the cup halfway, three quarters, 100%. It's 110% sold out the whole route. Remember the Ben Scott reference there? You remember that back there? Okay, good. Right? Look at this. It tells me why. It says, God loved me so much, and God loved you so much, and God loved the Mazateco so much, and God loved a 16-year-old kid so much, and God loves you and us and them and everybody so much. That the thought of forever without us was so unbearable that he did the unthinkable by sending his son, his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him, who he is, what he's done, what he's said, what he believed about us, if we believe that about ourselves, what he said about himself, if we believe that about him, that we would have life that begins at the moment that we conceive faith throughout all time, never-ending, everlasting life, and not perish. He also tells us this: that God didn't send a son on the world to give us ten more commandments we couldn't follow, because the first ten we weren't doing so good at. He didn't send to expose sin; he came to forgive sin. <laughs> I love that. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to set us free. Now, come on. That's good news. That's, that's the gospel. But the word good news is, is actually a translation of a, a word gospel. We say sometimes the gospel of Jesus or the gospel of God or the gospel of the kingdom of God. What we're, what we're talking about is good news. God has delivered to us through prophets, through apostles, through pastors, teachers, evangelists, through Jesus. God has delivered to us some really, really, really good news. And the good thing about good news is it contradicts the bad news. It stands opposed to it. It, it, it uh, displaces it in the lives of people. So we're going to talk about good news. Uh, we're going to spend some time this month really getting into the nitty-gritty, the nitty-gritty of the gospel. We're going to really kind of suck the marrow out of the bones of the story. Christmas is awesome. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive his king and let Santa give away his cookies. But remember this. He didn't just end as a baby in the manger. He died on a cross for a reason. He rose from the dead for a reason. He sent the Holy Spirit for a reason. You are that reason, and we get to move in that. So we're going to talk about orphans today, the gift of Jesus, really what a beautiful gift Jesus is, just the right thing, just the right time, just the right place for all of us. Two weeks from today, we're going to talk about the inner kingdom, what that means really to be born again. And you say, well, I know what it means to be born again. Listen. I think a lot of born again people don't know a lot about being born again. I'll be really honest with you. And then the last one, I'm going to teach you something. Tammy taught me about five years ago, which is about going from from we call it orphans to heirs, and that that outward kingdom. What does it mean? If I know who I am, then what is? How does that change my behavior? Can I share that story? Okay, so the other day, I'm not going to say who, but somebody right here sitting next to her husband uh, it, it was uh, down the, at the, the Center of Hope, and uh, one of the things that she was going to have to do is pray for people. When they, She knew that. If you come in here, they pray with every client. They offer, can we pray with you? And some say no, some say yes. So this girl said, uh, I believe it was no at first, wasn't it? Or maybe I'm getting the story wrong. Anyway, said yes, but this was the issue. She, uh, pregnant, amniocentesis, revealed that there were some issues with the child, going back for a follow-up to decide what to do about what the uh said. Should we deal with it medically? Should we let the child be born? Should we whatever? And she prayed. How many of you guys know after we pray, God gets to do what God wants to do? So I prayed once and it didn't happen. Shut up. <laughs> Don't build a theology out of what God has not done yet. Build a theology out of what God has promised to do. So she prayed and you'll never guess what happened. She came back the next week and said, the doctor can't explain it, but my baby's fine. Everything's solid. Can't wait for the birthday, right? How many of you guys know God, we have good news. God wants to use us, right? And so we're going to talk about the outward kingdom. So let's talk about the gospel real quick because I think sometimes we say the gospel and we don't really know what that means. And, and the reason we could be confused is because there's actually more than one gospel, if you will, or sections of the gospel. Paul, Romans chapter one, we'll get to in just a moment, but he, he calls it the good news, the gospel of God. Um, if you're a Roman person who's raised in polytheism and you've got Zeus and Apollo and Hermes and Bubba and Stinky and Pinky and the brain and all these guys they worship, it's good news that they're all a bunch of like lies and there's one true God and he loves you. That's the good news of God. But there's also more. It's also the, the gospel of salvation or the good news of salvation. He uses that phrase in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 where there's good news that God doesn't just love us and think we're cool. God actually has a plan for us to be His, to be adopted, to become heirs and co-heirs. And then the last one is, is the kingdom of the good news. I'm sorry, the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. Now I'll say this: I, I think the gospel of the kingdom probably encompasses all other sub-stories of the gospel. So maybe when you say the gospel, that's probably what we're talking about. We're talking about the king. We're talking about his power, the domain of the king, the jurisdiction of the king is the kingdom. Does that make sense? It's the domain of the king, the kingdom. Okay, back and forth. said, sounds dumb. Just follow me. Work with me here. So the, the way we access the validity, the power, the testimony of the gospel is through faith. Now, that in itself should be good enough news for all. How many guys are glad we don't access the gospel by our good works? We access the gospel by trusting the speaker of the good news the writer of the good news, the doer of the good news, the one who inspired the good news. He is the good news. I mean, the good news of God is that God is good news, right? So when people respond by faith um, to the good news, they can do it in lots of different ways. And I, and I want us just to, we're going to get into Romans chapter 1, but I, I want to hit you with this thought because I think a lot of us stop short of really what we can access by faith because we, we kind of thought like that was, the, that was the epitome. That was the magnum opus. That was the, the zenith, and it just isn't. So look at this. Some of the ways we respond, we have the inspirational faith. I've had people, you know, God loves you. Like, oh, thank you. I feel so good when I come to church. You tell me God loves me. I get saved every week, man. I raise my hand every week. How many of you guys, I, I, why? Because I feel something. My heart is inspired. I, my action is to, to respond to that love. It's like I said, come here, baby, and I gave you a big hug, and you hug me back. That's what that is. It's inspirational. I make the first step. You make a reciprocating step, and it, and it just feels right. feels good. There's nothing wrong with that, but, but there is more than just it feels good to be with God. Somebody say amen. amen. See, if you don't say amen, I just preach it like a second time, only a lot louder. And sometimes angry. So, okay, good. Here we go. Second thing is it's destinational. I had to invent that word, but I think you know what it means. My spell check's like, that's not a word. I'm like, it's theology? Stay out of my face. Destinational faith. It's like I'm just want to get born again. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. So, I trust that Jesus is enough, has done enough. He loves me enough that I can receive a brand new home, a brand new destination. And I trust that Jesus has saved me. This is where we say, you know, one, two, three, raise your hand. People raise their hand, say the prayer. You feel the kingdom of God come inside you. You're born again. Isn't that a wonderful moment? It's actually better than just being inspired by the love of God. It's responding to it. But look at the third one, and that's transformational. There's a transformational faith where I, where I begin to shift my understanding from salvation is about a moment to salvation is about eternity that starts now. The salvation is not the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a great adventure with my king. It it, it changes the way I think. It changes the way I hope. It changes the way I love. It changes the way I speak. It changes the way I live. It changes the way I pray. When I understand that God has begun a good work in me, and when I'm born again, I'm instantly a new creation in Christ Jesus, but there's still this transformational process where I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. All of a sudden, I realize that faith in a saving God, which he is, is beautiful and wonderful and powerful. However, it is not all that God has for us. And the older you get, the more you'll realize what you don't know. I used to know a lot of stuff. Then I turned 50. It's not like I forgot it. It's that it got tested in a different way. Yeah, but it's okay. You'll have grandkids and you'll be happy. It's going to be good. So good news, the gospel, good news is good news. But let's, let's just change the dynamics a little bit. What if you're the person that has the diagnosis of the deformity in your child and you have to make a decision? Is good news of the healing power of God better news to the person that has that problem than the person who's healthy? Theologically, no, but if you're the woman that's pregnant and you're, you're fearful for your baby, how many guys know good news is actually really good news when you need what the good news says? If, if you are dealing with um, depression, so we're, we did a body, soul, dealing with depression, uh, not, not chemically depressed, just so discouraged because of the circumstances of life, I don't think I can breathe anymore. And then you hear about the comfort of God, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be, comforted, right, blessed are the poor in spirit for, right, we, we get into the Beatitudes, we realize God is here for us in our lowest moments, not just in our highest moments. Is, is good news of the love of God, and the incursion of God, the infilling of the Holy Spirit better news to someone who's struggling with depression than someone who's not? I would say it is because it's a solution to my problem. Now, now follow me because I'm going somewhere with this. If I am lost in my sins, if I'm not okay in all of my front that I put on my masks and my faces and, and my my acting job that I do to make everybody think that I'm okay before God and I'm not, is the news that Jesus is not here to judge me, but to save me better news. It really is. Now, now hear me. I say this because Paul's gonna get into Romans chapter one, he's writing it, and the first thing he's gonna do, please hear me, because if you don't get this, what he's about to say is gonna sound mean. It's not mean, it's absolute kindness. What he's going to do is before he gets us found, he has to first get us good and lost. Because everything that we would trust... Now, I'm a good guy compared to who? Well, I just hope Hitler's in front of me when I get judged. I just He would make me look a lot better. Well, what if it isn't Hitler? What if it's Mother Teresa? It's like, well, then you wait for Hitler. It's like, no, come on. What I'm saying is this. When we realize that trusting in myself and my righteousness is nothing more than self-righteousness before a God who's truly righteous... Paul is going to do us a service by telling us that everything we trusted that isn't Jesus is going to fail us. So here he goes. You ready? You guys ready? Are you doing good? I got seven minutes for about 93 scriptures. Here we go. You ready? He starts his gospel with the wrath of God. And I think that's funny. Knock, knock, knock. Uh, yeah, can I help you? Hi, my name is Jim. I'm with Freedom Center Church. And I'd like to speak today about the wrath of God that said no one ever in modern evangelism, right? Knock, knock, knock. Hi, my name's Jim. I'm with Freedom Center Church. And I'm here just, to, can I ask you two quick questions? Well, certainly, young man. You seem like, thank you. You called me young. I love you too. All right, I, I uh, you know, do you go to church? Uh, if yes, have a great day. If no, why not? Uh, I don't go to church. Well, why not? Well, I just feel like it's this and it's not that. I don't have the right clothes. People dress funny and give away cookies. It's weird. I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? I just, I know I haven't felt. I used to, but then I got jazzed and my mom stopped and I said, okay. All right, what if there were a church that wasn't like that? And what if there was a God? And what if, what if? I mean, when we present the gospel, we start like, where are you? Thirsty? Let's talk about water. For like weeks, let's talk about water. Paul starts the gospel like, listen. You stink, and God's mad at you. Slam. So here we go, all right? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. Why? How do they do it? They do it with the wickedness. There's so much wickedness that wickedness becomes normal since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How do you do that? Well, since the creation of the world. God's invisible qualities, stuff like his eternal power, his divine nature. These things are clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, Paul starts where I would start. Listen, if if you don't recognize any creator because you can't see through creation the divinity of what exists in the physical world, then it's going to be really hard to help you. So he finds the most universal... Listen to me. The most universally true fact, whether it was then, but now we have a microscope, and now we have telescopes, and now we have scopy scopes. I get it. But I'm telling you, the microscopes tell us God has more detail. We haven't found God missing as we've looked into the tiny. We haven't found God missing as we look looked into the heavens. we found more evidence for the intelligence of design, not less evidence. But what about evolution? I, listen, I, oh, I want to say this the right way. I was an atheist, and I was a smart one. Now, my grades didn't show it, but my ability to debate and my, my understanding of debate and my desire not to lose a debate, my atheist father, m- multiple master's degrees, uh, my, the intelligence of my mother, I've been surrounded by geniuses and, and almost geniuses most of my life. I'm t- I, in the last week, I've probably spent an hour reading Darwin because I enjoy reading Darwin. So I am not ignorant of the claims of Darwin. The problem is, if you actually read what Darwin said, he actually defeats his own theories a thousand times in his writings. So for us to go, no, Darwin said, let like, me deify, big marble bust of Darwin. Darwin didn't want that. Darwin said, I got an idea. There's this finch and his beak is larger and smaller. I got this moth, and when the volcano blew up, the moths that survived are the ones that actually adapted to their environment and turned gray like the ash so the birds can see a bright yellow moth against a gray and, and eat them so it's natural selection and survival of the fittest. And all of those statements are true in a micro form. We can, we can duplicate dogs through breeding practices. We can make them curly. If you anything that ends with the word doodle. But there's not like a Clydesdale doodle. Because there's certain limitations to breeding. You can't make a dog a horse. Well, the fossil record shows transitional forms. I beg your pardon, it certainly does not show transitional forms. Darwin understood it. We understand it today. It's one of those big, well, then it wasn't like evolution was happening in quantum leaps. It goes from a mouse, but then the mouse has a baby that has wings, and it's a bat. It's like, come on. Listen, I'm I'm not saying all science is wrong. I'm not saying all, all things theological. We understand either. But I am saying this. You cannot say that science requires no faith. To believe evolution is to leap to conclusions that are not supported by empirical evidence. And maybe you could say the same about theology. But here I've got archaeology. I've got sociology. I've got my own testimony. I've got the testimony of Mazatecos that were healed up in the mountains of Oaxaca. I've got a lifetime. Guys, I'm just short. Of, this is my 40th year. I just started my 40th year of following Jesus. And what I've learned in those 40 years is that science has a place, but it requires faith for it to answer every question. Theology has a place. It requires faith to answer every question, but I have faith in God. And I'm not saying if you believe in theology or, um, evolution, you're an idiot. I'm not. Please hear me. I'm simply saying this. Paul makes the statement, if you see the intelligence of all creation, and somehow choose not to see a creator. It puts a, it puts a, a chain reaction into effect in your life. Because if there is no God, then you'll try to be one. And any pleasure you deem, any idol you deem, any behavior you deem appropriate. Guys, please hear me. The worst atrocities in modern history. So we have film of it. We have recordings of it. We have survivors still speaking about it with the tattoos on their arm. Come out of a belief in evolution, not a belief in God. Because if breeding inferior genes is wrong, then eugenics is right. I had a friend, he was here when I got here. He was involuntarily sterilized because the government deemed him a moron. And he used to sit on the bar stool and drink himself half to death every night. One day, Burke, you guys know Pastor Burke, I call him Burke because he called him Burke. He walked in and he said, When are you going to come hear me preach? He said, I'm not going to come here. you preach. He said, when are you going to come hear me preach? Finally, he showed up. He heard Pastor Burke preach. Shook him up so bad, he went straight to the bar. He put that glass in front of me. He said, give me a double. This is his story. In the bartender poured him a double. He reached out and grabbed it and said, my hand was shaking so bad because I knew if I took one more drink, I'd never stop drinking and I'd go to hell. He said, I put it down. I came back, found Burke, gave my life to Jesus, and I've been here ever since. Can I tell you something? I'm glad that man put faith in Jesus, not faith in that bottle. I was witnessing to a guy on the streets in Phoenix one time, and he was wrestling with mental illness. And I said, listen, there's, a, there's another way. God can heal your mind. God can heal your physiology. God. And this, I'll never forget, his answer. He said, listen, preacher, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. And those seem to be my only two choices. I'm like, they're not your only two choices a bottle in front of me or a frontal lobotomy like there's Jesus and he gave his life to Christ I am telling you the solution to all of man's problems is not more knowledge in textbooks it's a moment of faith where Jesus comes alive in someone and they see another way out of the darkness and they run to Christ this this, this thought that people have no excuse that can't see a God. Now, I'm not saying God of the Bible, Hebrew God, Jesus, all the theology, but he's talking about if anybody can see what's been created, they must conclude that there is a creator. And if there is a creator, is he not worthy of more attention than just this, you know, day of the year or this day of the week? And those who didn't do that, he begins to turn them over. Three times in Romans chapter 1, God turns them over to behaviors that cause so much pain. If they don't repent, there's another layer of behavior that causes so much pain. If not, there's that third layer called a reprobate mind where everything they think is wrong is right. Everything they think is right is wrong, no matter what they touch, whatever relationship, whatever they, they hit, it's all bad, it's all awful, it's all cursed, it's all and in the hope that this, this blessed curse of, of distance from God and no hope and fear and will drive them to that place that we know is rock bottom where a loving God is waiting to rescue them. Does this make sense? Are you guys getting this? For those who won't repent, he says this. They have become, they, 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 they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. (gasps) Right? Right? They have no understanding, no fidelity. They couldn't keep a friend. They couldn't keep a job. They couldn't keep a romance. No love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve an absence of life. Of course, of course your life is led here. They not only continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. And what's happening now is everybody's going, yeah, yeah, those bad people, those bad people, those bad. Remember, the purpose of chapter 1 is to get us all lost, So he's got, aren't they bad? Aren't they bad? Aren't they? I may know anybody like this. Raise your hand. I know somebody that's living this life right now. Maybe on TV. Maybe in politics. Let's move on. Right? And then, so it goes to Romans 2. He says, you, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone, someone else, because at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same thing. Come on up here, Robin. Join me if you would. I just looked at the clock. Paul takes away a righteousness that depends on being better than someone else. He says, aren't they bad? They go, yeah, they're bad. Well, you're just as bad as they are because, you know, breaking the law can be a stop sign as well as murder. So have you crossed a stop sign? Well, I felt like a rolling stop. There's nobody coming yet. Okay, stop. He, he's saying this, any breakage of the law You shift from innocence to guilt. There's no graduated scale of of crimes. There's no misdemeanors and felonies and major felonies and capital. It's just a breaking of God's heart or breaking of God's law. So any sin, any violation of the law makes us a sinner. So I only murdered once. I know, but you're a murderer. I only lied once. Okay, but that makes you a politician. I'm sorry. That's just mean. I shouldn't say that. I should have said lawyer. Anyway, the... I'm, I'm sorry, I'd, I'm kidding. Preacher, there, everybody happy? All right, fingers pointing at myself, right? Then he gets to Romans chapter three. I love this, he goes, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage of being a Jew or a Gentile? No, not at all. We've already made the case, the charge that Jews and Gentiles are all, everybody say all, all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats, they just open graves. Their thumbs on social media, same thing. Their tongues, practice deceit. They craft an argument in such a way to find whatever whatever proves their point rather than finding out what's actually true. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. I'm sorry, I almost made a U of M joke. It's just been the year for that, you know. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, and misery mark their ways. On the way of peace, they would know it if it bit them. There is no fear of God before their eyes. By the time Paul gets to Romans 3, verse 23, he goes, it's just all of sin. All of sin. Who? All. Can I just real quick? What's the word all mean in the original Greek? Anybody know? Yeah, it means all. But it's not my mom, I'm sorry. I'm not like your mama. I'm not doing that. Mother Teresa, the Pope, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like I just said, I, it's my 40th year following Jesus. Lots of ups and downs during for those 40 years. Um, but boy, I, I still remember. Like I, It isn't like, oh, I remember. It's kind of a vague No, I still remember what it was like every day without him. I remember clearly when I found out who he was and what he had for me and did he love me. I remember what a mind-blowing, like really? Really? It answered every question I had. It calmed every fear. It, it literally did. Every time the phone would ring, I go, oh no. I get this adrenalized, like, what's going on? I, I don't know. Is that her father? Is that the cops? Is that the teacher? Is that the principal? Even worse, is that the vice principal? Is that the neighbor? Is that the story I just stole from? Is that the drugs I just bought? Is that the, it, my life was all just filled with things that weren't true. I lied about everything. I lied to everyone. I'm getting deeper and deeper into chemicals that are altering my chemistry. I'm getting farther and farther from people that love me, less and less engaged with my own family. Every time the phone rang, I remember that fear. I remember going to sleep. I'd had an experience with God when I was a child at something called Awana. Twinkle, what was that? What, how old would we have been there? Because you were there. We were there at the same time. I called you Twinkle, and you chased me and beat me up. Remember that? <laughs> well, what was it? No. It was elementary for me. You're considerably older than I am. That's probably what it is. Thanks for dressing like Santa today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I think I was like sixth grade, fifth grade. So I'd had an experience at Iwana with God. But how many guys know an experience with God doesn't, doesn't help if you're, not, if you're not activating the good news of salvation? So I'd been loved by him, but I didn't know what it meant to be saved by him. And so every night, I kid you not, every night I'd lay in bed, and my eyes would be wide open. I'd stare at the ceiling, and I'd just go through the list. God, I said this today, and I shouldn't have. Please, please help me. God, I did this today. Oh, I lied about that. Oh, and the phone rang. Oh, my God. Oh, God, please. Okay, okay, it wasn't her dad. Okay, okay. But that was my relationship with God. It was, he was a spare tire for someone who had three flats. And every day I would say how sorry I was for the man I'd been that day. Does this make sense to anybody else besides me? God was the one. He had the Ten Commandments in one hand, a rolling pin in the other, and he was playing whack-a-mole with my behavior. That was what God was to me. And then I went to that concert, and someone explained to me this. Just like all have sinned, look at this. And all are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know how that should make you feel? like that listen all again what's the word mean justified what's it mean just if I'd what justified never sin and all are justified never sin what it cost us what it cost him yeah but what's it cost us by here's the fulcrum by his what Grace, grace is the unmerited favor of God. The word charis, we get our word named charisma, uh, it just means gift, right? Uh, And all, it's justified, never sinned, didn't cost me anything because it's a gift he gave us and that gift is activated by the redemption, the buying back out of slavery that came through one place, one person, one sacrifice, once for all, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now don't get confused, it doesn't mean everybody's saved, You've you got to activate that by faith. Does that make sense? So the redemption comes through faith in Jesus. So there is something you have to do. He's done it all. It's free. It's for all. For Hitler? Yep. Mother Teresa? Sure. Your mama? Just fun to say. Yes. Joe Daddy? Absolutely. Through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. A lot of theology in that one phrase. But he's trying to pack this conclusion into a sentence. And the sentence is simply this. Wherever you are right now, with a holy God, what he wants you to do is take a step forward from where you are to where he is. I, Jim, I've been serving the Lord for 50 years. You're wet behind the ears. you almost 40-year guy. Been doing it for 50. I know. But don't you, don't you know by now that what God wants us to do is take another step towards him? Today, if you're in a place where you have no faith in Jesus as Savior, you haven't believed the good news of salvation, the good news of God or the good news of the expansion of life, the abundant life in the good news of the kingdom of God where you get to pray for the sick and they recover. Where you get to preach the gospel next to pigs that are tied up and watch a village come to Jesus where you get to deliver a basket of food and have the person call you the next day and say, my child's father just died and my three-year-old was with his deceased parent for 12 hours and we're out of work and I don't know what to do. And to be in that moment to say, God's got you, God's got this, and your church is here for you as the hands and feet of Christ. If you don't know that, then please hear me. There's an abundance of life that begins when you give up yours and embrace his. It's not Christianity. I don't even know what that means anymore. It's not right-wing, conservative, white guy, whatever, whatever Christianity means in your mind. It's not that. It's Jesus and it's you. That's Christianity. Following Christ, loving your neighbor, loving God, being light and salt in a dark and flavorless world. Dressing like Santa so you can give away cookies. Adopting other people's children and calling them yours. Loving, giving, serving. Father, I pray that there's anybody in this room today, Lord, that has not understood the good news of the kingdom, the good news of God, the good news of salvation. And I pray that they would be redeemed through Jesus Christ and be justified as part of the all freely by the gift of grace given to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. Father, today I pray you'd reach your sons and daughters right where they are. May they be more than just inspired. May they desire more than just a new destination. May faith that is transformational invade their heart, their mind, their soul transforming God, transform us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I I, I feel his love. I understand the good news of salvation. Today I'm asking God to transform me into something something he longs to see. Not disappointed, just very committed to me and becoming this, teaching me how to walk, teaching me how to love, teaching me how to serve, teaching me how to forgive. Teach me how to sacrifice, Teach me how to live as he lives. Living through me, I give my life to God today. I give my life to Jesus. If that's you, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In 30 seconds, I'll be dismissing you. So it's here right now. This is it. I give my life to Jesus or I don't give my life to Jesus. It's your choice. For those today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. It's just a simple sign of faith all over this room right now. Give my life to Jesus. Yeah, I love it. Best part of my day. doesn't have to be on a mountaintop in Oaxaca. Best part of my day. I give my life to Jesus. Father, for every uplifted hand, it's attached to an open heart. It's attached to a son or daughter saying today, like a bride or a groom on their wedding day taking a vow saying, I give you me. In the same way, we stood before you and said, I give you me, just as you've given us you. Today, God, fill us with your spirit, teach us your word, help us to be people who speak the good news, good news. Sometimes it starts with bad news, but let us speak good news, good news in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I can't wait to have altar calls again someday. And then once you stand to your feet, I did go a little bit long because worship was awesome. So I got a little bit of a later start. So this is what we're going to do. As you gather your things, uh, we have people in orange vests, staff members standing by the doors. Please do not move until they give you direction to do so. I think you guys know that, you know, what was out there in the form of COVID is now all around. And so we're, we've been very, very blessed and very careful. We haven't had a single case of transmission. Not one. Everybody say Zero not one. People come in here and been sick, but they didn't give it to anybody else. We are the church that shares, just not at that level, right? So once you leave the doors, it's up to you. But inside this building, we want to be very careful with with how we we help you. So we're going to put six feet of distance between you. So our staff members, you guys got your stuff. Staff members, when I say go, you're going to start giving them nice, clear, loud directions on your market set. Go. You're dismissed, God.